Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. Support for today's episode comes from Ruby Receptionists. Ruby's live, remote receptionists and proprietary technology are your solution to delivering excellent customer service experiences by answering calls in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, addressing common questions, and making outbound calls for you. Most importantly, they sound like they're sitting in your office. To learn more, visit Ruby, excuse me, call Ruby.com, or better yet, call us at 855 255 Ruby. My guest today is David Balotsky. David is the founder and CEO of Uncommon Goods, an online and catalog retailer based in Brooklyn, New York. Prior to launching his business in 1999, David was a managing director in retail industry analysis at Goldman Sachs. Welcome, David. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here. Well, thanks for being on, and uh, you, you really have a wonderful story. Uh, tell us a little bit about that story. What does Un- Uncommon Goods do in, in the online retail business, and uh, how you got started? Sure. So we essentially connect uh, smaller independent uh, makers and designers with an audience, with customers who want to find product that is handmade, that has a great story behind it, that's creatively designed. So we will uh, buy the product, market the product, ship the product to the customers. Uh, In some cases, we'll actually arrange to make it ourselves, and we actually do some uh, design work uh, ourselves as well. So we're building our own brand of product uh, as well, though the vast majority, 85% of what we sell is created and conceived of by independent makers and designers. Now, that uh, has got to be a, a tough business to be in from the standpoint that you've got to identify, locate, and have relationships with very small suppliers uh, as opposed to getting all your product from, you know, probably easier to locate and, and manage uh, big companies. So how, do you, how did you make that decision and how is it managing those relationships? Well, my, my father-in-law had a uh, expression, the hard way is the only enduring way. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's very easy to sell, at least in theory, name brand mass produced items, but you're not going to make much money on it. That's the commodity business. And so the, you know, the original idea came from my visiting a craft show in Washington, D.C., and seeing how inefficient it was create, uh, connecting the makers with the customers. And I thought, wow, if we could do this online, uh, this is a service that doesn't really exist in the store world. And we can actually make a buck doing it. And uh, as you acknowledged, it's not easy. It is certainly uh, difficult. And I would say in many ways, every year it gets harder, particularly with Amazon and now Etsy and others aggressively going after the same business. Yeah. Uh, So from just a standpoint of size and scope, can you share how many employees you have, maybe top line revenue, where you guys are today? 
Sure. So as a private company and one that intends to stay that way, uh, we don't give out too much in terms of that data, but we have uh, about 200 year-round team members and we scale uh, higher than that during the holiday season, uh, during November and December. And we've grown every year uh, since our founding back in 1999, uh, even through the recession, though certainly not as quickly as we have some other years. Mm. Well, talk about how you got started. I mean, you came out of the, the Wall Street world and, and made the jump to uh, being an entrepreneur. Uh, how'd that happen? Well, it's, it's a long story, but distilling it down, I never wanted to be on Wall Street. Uh, but uh, even more than that, I didn't want to be unemployed living in my parents' house as a college grad. So uh, I was casting about uh, after I had graduated for different opportunities. I had spent my senior year of college really focusing on college, enjoying myself and not being pre-professional, which uh, mm-hmm. I might have done differently if uh, I had it to do again, though I don't know. I'm happy with how things turned out. But anyhow, all my friends had jobs. I didn't and didn't know what I wanted to do. I always had a dream of starting my own business, but I didn't have any money. I owed I owed money. I'd paid for college myself, and so I had student loans to pay off and uh, didn't know what I was going to do and interviewed at kind of a broad range of places. And through a high school friend of mine, found out about Wall Street Research, sent in a bunch of applications, and actually got hired uh, for a position as basically a number cruncher for a research analyst. And uh, worked for her for a couple of years, got recruited away by Goldman Sachs to be a research analyst. And again, didn't want to be on, on Wall Street didn't think I wanted to switch firms because it meant a bigger commitment to a field that I wasn't passionate about. Uh, but I didn't have uh, the business idea at that point, and it was a lot more money to make the change and thought I'd be treated uh, uh, better at the new firm and decided to make that switch and figured I'd do that for a couple of years and ended up at Goldman uh, for 12 years. And, uh, so it was, uh, a rather lengthy wall street, uh, career during the time that I was doing research on the retail industry. Um, I learned about the internet through a, uh, a friend of mine, actually the author, John Haidt, uh, who taught me about it. Uh, he was getting his PhD in Chicago and he saw it as a place for some of his research and also a resource for jokes. This was before there were pictures on the internet. <laughs> and, uh, I remember learning about it and just having my mind blown that there was this incredible repository of information out there. And I, stayed on top of the internet. That was probably 1994. And I stayed on top of the internet uh, just as an individual and also in my work as retailers started cropping up selling and ultimately uh, decided I'd rather do it uh, than write about it. And I had been writing about internet retailing for a few years at at Goldman Sachs. So you had a a long Wall Street 
career and maybe longer than you wanted. Um, and yet at some point though, you, you, you made this jump and you had a tremendous knowledge about the industry, but, uh, that's still a lot different than actually going out, starting and running your own company. Uh, that takes courage. You now had to lead, uh, a company lead people, which is now grown to 200 people. Um, let me take you back to kind of where this came from and, and where these values uh, were started to be created in, in your own life. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and about your, your folks. So my parents are still alive, uh, thankfully. They're people who I would choose to have as role models or friends, um, which is pr- pretty rare and a wonderful thing. Um, and I give them a lot of credit for uh, the values I have, particularly, I'd say, relevant for this business, having confidence in myself, believing that if I put my mind uh, to something that I can do it, and also being an independent thinker, not following the crowd. And I would say that those two uh, factors have been key in my uh, helping to build the business here. Mm. Uh, yeah, they they instilled a lot of that in me. Yeah, uh, how about early jobs? Uh, where what did you uh, what did you learn there along the way? Um, so I was incredibly shy uh, as a kid. Um, I remember one. I grew up on the Lower East Side in the city, and I still remember my mom taking me to the uh, uh, store across the street from our apartment. And I was a bit of a pain in the butt as a, as a kid. And I was asking her what time it was. And uh, I think she didn't have a watch or maybe she didn't want to tell me. And so she told me to go up to some stranger to ask her uh, uh, what time it was. And I reluctantly uh, complied. And uh, shyness was a real challenge. My first, I'd say, real job was as a paper boy. Um, and... Mm. Uh, um, I remember having a neighbor uh, who loved to talk, and I was too shy to tell her that I had to keep going. And uh, I remember I had to go to the bathroom really badly (laughs) and finally got the courage up to say, you know what, I really, really have to go. And I would say that that, you know, dealing with adults, and I was probably 12 or so at the time, 13, dealing with adults and communicating at that level. Another incident was somebody didn't pay me um, and I asked her to pay and she essentially called me a liar and said she had paid me. And so I'd say dealing dealing with that those kind of challenges helped me develop my backbone and my communication skills. Yeah, kind of toughened uh, you up a little bit. Yeah. And then probably the most important job that I had was one that I got paid for in records. Uh, when I was in college, I became the uh, uh, manager of Slipped Disc, which was a uh, uh, a record store on campus at uh, Binghamton University in upstate New York, uh, State University of New York. And uh, you know, a couple interesting things about that. So every year, the existing managers of the store would essentially handpick the typically two additional managers to join them to, to run the store in the following year. And, and then there was what was typically a pretty perfunctory election uh, 
of those people at a meeting of store employees. And I was not selected. And I gave a rather lengthy speech outlining everything that I would do if I was selected. And I ended up uh, being chosen by the staff uh, to help run the store and um, doing that and then working with the existing managers who had chosen somebody over me uh, was a bit of a challenge, but ended up uh, working out uh, very well. And that was a phenomenal experience for me. I mean, it was working in retail. Uh, It was a big uh, opportunity for me to learn about managing people, which is something I really hadn't done uh, before. And, uh, you know, ensuring that I treated people well, one of the big problems that we had as a store is when you got to the end of the semester and finals rolled around, the students wouldn't show up for their shifts. Uh, You know, you got paid and they got paid uh, nothing. They got a store discount and that was it. And so I instituted a program where we'd give them uh, a free album, Mm -hmm. Um, but you had to show up for all but two or three of your shifts and you couldn't miss your last week or two of shifts. And so that was sort of enlightened self-interest, which is something I've tried to continue to practice, which is treat people well and they'll work harder. Well, I got to dig into this story a little bit because uh, you're saying that in the store, the employees actually voted to determine who would have these management positions. Yes. That seems so unusual, particularly back then. Well, this was a college store. So I don't know. There was a food co-op on campus. I think the leadership there was elected. Yeah, I don't know. But that that's how it's done I or was done. That's what I inherited and we continued the practice. Yeah. Um, but you had the courage after not being chosen to step up and say, well, you know, I want to say something. I want to talk about that. And you kind of gave this speech um, that that says a lot. You know, it, it sounds like your confidence grew over time. Did that shyness go away or is it still with you in some regard? I think it's still with me. I don't like public speaking in general. <laughs> so I get nervous every time I get up and speak. You know, it's kind of like uh, my wife is a writer and one of her quotes is uh, somebody said, you know, they hate writing books, but they love having written the book. And I would say that's kind of how I feel about, you know, speaking and just being out in public. Yeah. Um, Would you look, would you uh, describe yourself as an introvert? I would say that that was my natural state and probably is still my natural state, but it's something that I worked and continue to work hard to overcome because I've seen how it's held me back. Yeah. Um, Well, I I really identify with that too. I'm definitely a certified introvert. Um, And while I think there are probably times when maybe there were opportunities for you to speak out more or be more present in these situations. I, I, to me, um, some introverts are some of the best leaders and, and sometimes, uh, we may not say a lot, but when we do talk, it's, we hope it's worth something and in the right situation. And, uh, so I think it's actually something to be, to be proud of. And it sounds like, um, it has served you, uh, really well over the years and continues to, 
Um, can you think of a time, David, where you maybe learned something from an unexpected source or from an unexpected person? Um, so I would say working one of my other jobs, uh, this is while I was still in high school, was through a government program called the Youth Conservation Corps. And the marketing brochures show you the Grand Canyon, all these wonderful places where you could work. And I thought, oh, great, I'll go work in a national park out west and experience nature and make a few dollars. And I ended up on a traffic circle in the suburbs of New York, cutting down trees for a Frisbee golf course. Uh, <laughs> so it was decidedly unromantic. And um, I would say I learned two things from that job. One is, uh, you know, goofing off makes the time go really slowly. And there were times when I was unmotivated and I just, I didn't respect uh, the manager that I had there. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of felt like, oh, well, I'll, I'll deal with that by not working so hard. And I felt like I was only hurting myself by doing that. And then the second thing was experiencing how she dealt with some of the staff where she was not respectful to some of the workers and that really, uh, backfired on her. It didn't get people, uh, to to work hard so it was kind of a negative example but uh, it was good learning for me well i told you what not to do in in, some, yeah. in that case so you experienced the other side uh and and now today your your business on common goods uh you know i was online i was looking at some of the really unique things that you offer uh obviously that's exposed to the public as you sell retail online but all this kind of comes from inside and and what you've created i'd love you to share a little bit about what makes the company special today you guys have won lots of awards you uh are a certified b corp uh, uh, which is um, a great designation around company sustainability. Uh, you were recently awarded as one of the top 25 Forbes small giants. Uh, so, and that's a hard one to win. I'm showing about talking about the kind of culture that you've built. So what really makes the company special today? Um, I would say it's really the team that we've built here. And that was... I think one of the biggest lessons, you know, you talked about introvert being a uh, asset as a leader. I think for me, it was also a strong liability. So being very independent minded, sort of fighting the system, which is kind of my was my mindset as an outsider and as a kid um, can be really helpful in starting a business because you're fighting against the incumbents and you've got a lot of determination and resolve, but that can wear really thin with a team. And if you're leading out of anger or leading out of resistance, that's not inspiring and that's not motivating. And that's something that I've really had to work on, on myself in terms of creating a positive environment and making myself a more positive person, focusing on the proverbial donut and not just the whole. Mm. And so I think, you know, by, by creating a positive environment and working 
to create a culture where people know what we stand for, the people that work here know what we stand for, and giving them both a figurative and literal uh, ownership of the business, I think, makes a big, uh, big difference. And then, um, you know, doing what you say. I mean, it's very easy to do a lot of stuff for PR reasons, and you know, it's it's wonderful to win awards, but the reason you do things should be because you believe in them. And if we got zero awards, we would do the exact same thing because we think they're the right thing to do. And so I think, I think the idea that we're a company that's focused on the long term, that we give people authority that matches their responsibility, that they can own their roles, that we're a values-based business and, you know, we're far from perfect, but we really try uh, to walk the walk uh, as a company. I think so those are some of the things that uh, that we stand for. And being independently owned, you know, we're not venture capital backed. We don't have the pressure of having to sell the business or uh, earn X dollars the next quarter, though I will say that it's incredibly important uh, to make a strong financial return, I don't want to be a so-called. You know, I don't want to be an unintentional nonprofit. Uh, <laughs> Got to keep making money. That's right. I mean, and that profit is what allows you to reinvest in the people and allow them to grow uh, their careers as well. Uh, can you give a couple examples? You know, you talked about values. Uh, I think you guys may call them guiding principles in, in your company. Uh, but from a practical standpoint, how is that manifested on a day-to-day basis? Where would I see or feel that? So the first one is we are a force for good, okay? And um, I believe strongly, and, and I, you know, people, People would ask me, you know, what do I do? And I would joke in the early years when we were losing money that uh, we were an un- I, I run an unintentional nonprofit. Uh, and at the time, I was also chairing the board of a intentional nonprofit. And I debated when I left uh, Goldman Sachs whether to work in the nonprofit in- in industry or to start a business. And um, and the reason was that. The most important thing then and now to me is to have a positive impact, to try in whatever small way I can to leave uh, the world or my small corner of the world a little better than I found it. And so our number one principle is we are a force for good and we try to treat everyone here with dignity and respect. Something I uh, borrowed from the founders of the Home Depot is what they call the inverted pyramid management structure, Mm -hmm. where the boss is the customer. That's where the money comes from. And the people who touch the customer, which is the folks who work in our warehouse and our customer service people, those are the ones who have the greatest influence on the customer opinion of uncommon goods. And we've got to make sure that we provide them with the tools and the resources uh, and motivation that they need uh, to succeed. And so uh, making sure that we're a force for good in how we treat our people, both in terms of dignity and respect and uh, pay 
and benefits uh, starting at the top, starting at the customer service and warehouse staff. So we pay a $15 minimum wage for the lowest paid seasonal workers at our company, and we pay more than that um, for our year-round team. And everybody is based in an industrial part of Brooklyn out in Sunset Park. So our warehouse is under the same roof as uh, everybody else uh, who works here. Um, in addition, on issues that we care about, we'll speak up as a business, okay? And it's very powerful when dealing with elected officials when they hear a business is in favor of worker-friendly policies like raising the minimum wage or providing paid family leave uh, to workers. And so we've been very involved. I've written op-eds, met with elected officials and other business leaders to get legislation passed in the state of New York on both uh, paid family leave and the minimum wage. Wow, good for you. Uh, you know, it sounds like you have uh, really got gone from someone who's uh, you know you don't sound like a shy introvert for sure you you've uh, you're quite active um, and uh, and such an advocate for your people and while some might think that this idea of uh, being a force for good treating people with dignity and respect it's ah that's you know that's just so basic it's it's really just not even evident in so many companies and and if you're able to do that on a consistent basis and breed leaders that live that way uh, that's where that's resulted in this continual growth um, of a business like you said could be very much commoditized um, and yet uh, because you do things in a different way, your business continues to thrive. Um, you also said that you, you continue to grow as a leader. Uh, can you think to a real humbling time or decision you had to make along the way? Yes. So four years ago, uh, we had come off a not so great year and a number of people were leaving the company and morale was kind of crappy. And I had visited another company and was super impressed with the way they developed people and built their culture and asked the CEO if I could speak with their head of HR and asked her if she might be open to doing some consulting with me. And she said she'd love to, but she didn't have the time, but she had a friend and introduced me to a consultant to took our company through a process that he calls the, uh, uh, the clarity process. And he produced a report after meeting with the leadership of the company and then a number of our team members. And it was like having a uh, bucket of ice water dumped on me. I mean, here I was with all the best of intentions, uh, feeling like I was being accused of being a hypocrite, where people said I wasn't doing, uh, or we as a company weren't doing what we said uh, were our values, and that uh, uh, morale, in fact, was pretty poor. And as this consultant put it, the fish rots from the head. So it was, mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was a very humbling, very tough uh, experience. And, you know, the initial reaction I had was defensive. And uh, I realized, okay, pointing out other people's shortcomings in no way uh, eliminates my own. And that I really had to look in the mirror and uh, uh, grow and develop. 
And it's something that I've been really focused on. And I think we've made good progress, but you know, I still have more to go. <laughs> uh, so give me an example of, from a kind of leadership style perspective, uh, what uh, the consultant came up with or what, if they said, you know, David, here's the one thing or the couple things that really you, as a result of this feedback you're getting, you should change or, or attempt to change or you should work on. So I'll talk about one for the company and then one for me specifically. So for the company, I had certain values that drive me as an individual. And when we were five or 10 people and I would have contact with everybody on the in the company on a weekly basis, uh, there was direct communication and understanding of what was important. Uh, once we got up, you know, over a hundred people, it was not, um, a lot got lost in translation. And so, uh, uh, the consultant bill suggested that we create these guiding principles. This is what we stand for as an organization. And it wasn't like I went off, uh, and just came up with these on my own. I helped lead the process, but it was something that I worked on with the team. So everybody felt bought in and it created a shared understanding of what we stand for. And then we've worked to incorporate those in uh, notes that we share as a company. We're what's called an open book management company. So every week we share our management notes, including our financials with everybody in the business. And we talk about the principles when we talk about uh, successes uh, as well as challenges uh, that the business uh, faces. So that, that was one thing that came out of uh, that clarity process in terms of a communication device to make sure that our values are aligned. Uh, for me individually, uh, it was focusing on the positive as well as the opportunity for improvement. So I look at a situation and immediately I focus on what's wrong. That's an incredibly valuable skill, and it's essential for continuous improvement. It's also a great way to demoralize your team. Somebody gives you uh, a design or shows you a product, uh, you know, who knows what, you know, but you know, as a result of a lot of work, they present something to you, and you say, well, how about this or how about that? as opposed to recognizing the good work that they've done and the progress that they've made. And so that's something that I've really uh, had to work on for myself. That's a great example. And uh, I remember uh, in my business the same kind of thing where uh, it's so easy to uh, just react or, or create, um, ask for new ideas, but just not even give those attaboys, girls, you know, that little positive reinforcement for the work that's been done. And, and, uh, and I needed to be reminded of that too. And I remember every year we would do a, a what we call an upward evaluation, kind of our version of a 360 and our own team members would rate us. And, uh, and I was always depressed for a night after I, I read that, uh, you know. Would and, you do those, just by the way, would you do those anonymously or people would uh, put their names on No, they, they would be um, anonymous. Um, and one, because for people that didn't have a lot of direct reports, we didn't want to have people start to worry about, uh, well, who said this specifically or that. 
but it created an openness, uh, of course, because the the follow up to that was the leader would would be asked to meet with their team and be very vulnerable and say, "Gosh, this is what I heard. This is what I learned, and this is what I'm going to do about it." Mm-hmm. Um, and and so invariably, it, it led to individual discussions too. But sometimes, like you said, you know, we kind of think we're chugging along, we're doing things the right way, especially when, as, as you've seen, your, your company is being recognized and, and you feel like things are going well. And then you just you may be blindsided and realize, you know what, maybe um, the way I'm doing this, the way I'm acting, the way I'm representing myself um, is not exactly what I think. And so to have gone through that process, uh, I think, was really uh, really something and showed again, a lot of courage for you. Um, and as I, as I think to back in your career and as everybody's career, it's this evolution, it's this growth, it's this journey, um, took you years to, uh, to actually, uh, achieve this dream that you had of being an entrepreneur. But as you, uh, would be talking to, let's say to someone who's in college today or a young person, uh, starting out, uh, what kind of advice would you give them uh, going forward? As it relates to business or life? Well, isn't it all the same? <laughs> uh, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, someone that says, you know, I want to I want to be like you one day. I want to start a business. I want to grow a business. Um, what are the kinds of things that they should be working on? So I, I would say start by working on yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and be a positive person. Focus on your relationships, your family first. There's certainly times in your life where you can work like crazy. I mean, there were times when I worked 80 hours a week, if not more, and was traveling constantly. And my then girlfriend and now wife uh, uh, put up with that. Uh, but that, I mean, as, as I look back or look at my dad, who's uh, going to be 89 this week. You know, the relationships are the most important thing in in life. The career success. I mean, when I left Goldman Sachs, <clears throat> at the time, I felt like I had a really important job and that I mattered. I was on TV or quoted in the paper regularly. And you leave and all of a sudden you're like a ghost, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't you used to be? And yet your family and friends are still there. So I would say that that's, you know, don't, don't forget that. And, uh, that's true success is the relationships that you have. And then I would tell them the same thing my parents told me, which is, you know, believe in yourself. You know, if you believe in yourself, you've got the best odds of succeeding. Uh, you may not succeed, but you're guaranteed to fail if you don't believe in yourself. And so I think that's, that's incredibly important. And then on a sort of very practical basis, uh, keep a low overhead. You know, if you've got a dream of starting your own business, uh, make some personal sacrifices because what's important in life is not living on, uh, the most desirable street, having the fanciest car, uh, what matters is what you spend your time doing and the relationships at work and the relationships that you have and the impact you have on other people. And so for me, you know, I've always lived way beneath my means and uh, worked hard to have a positive impact. And the most joy that I get is not from uh possessions that I have or money that I spend, but really seeing the impact that I can have on other people. Yeah. And as we get 
get older, and I think you and I are probably in a similar age range. My dad just turned 90. Um, you realize that that's what it's about and uh, uh, the impact that we can have on other people over time. And, and that's great advice all the way around. Uh, so um, I'm sure that there's a number of young people who benefit from your your great uh, mentorship. And uh, those are really wonderful stories. Um, I want to end, David, with just these kind of quick hit questions um, that uh, I'll ask you and maybe just uh, like the association game, share what comes to your mind first. Can you tell me the name of a, of a leader who you look up to? Warren Buffett. Yeah, that's a great one. How about a great book that influenced and, you? And I would encourage anyone who can go to his annual meeting while he and Charlie Munger are still uh, alive and kicking. It, I went a couple of years ago and it's incredible. Yeah, I've heard that. I've uh, I haven't able been uh, gone myself, but I know a number of people who have, and they say it's just an amazing experience. Um, how about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Uh, the Great Game of Business by Jack Stack, which talks about open book management and really helped crystallize a lot of the business philosophy that I had, and showed a model of somebody who's made it work. Yeah, Jack is a wonderful guy and, you know, kind of a pioneer of open book management. And he wrote that book with uh, my co-founder in the Small Giants community, Bo Burlingham. So, yes. Um, that's yeah. A, yeah, wonderful book. Uh, and that's, that's why this award meant even more to me. Yeah, I bet. Um, how about your all-time favorite movie? I don't have one. I mean, the two movies I enjoyed the most at the time I saw them were two sort of extremes, Diner and Apocalypse Now. Oh, those are two great ones. I just recently saw Diner again. Uh, if it's on, I'm watching. You know, it's just such a good, great movie, yeah. both of them. Um, now, I don't know if you uh, are into Netflix or binge watching any series that you enjoy. Um, not really, though. Uh, my wife and I just watched Wild Wild Country, which was fascinating. A little sad, but that's about a, uh, a cult that... Uh, 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 existed out West and I think it was the, uh, maybe seventies or eighties and really crazy story. <laughs> well, the best part is you guys did it together. Um, my wife and I can rarely find something we both want to watch <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> uh, lastly, how about something about you that maybe, uh, many people don't know. I can touch my nose with my tongue. Oh my goodness. As as can my wife and our kids. So it's a tremendously valuable trait. Of course. Yeah, my wife can do that. I can't come close to that. Uh, <laughs> very good. Uh, well, wow, uh, David, it's just so great to talk to you and hear your story. I want to um, reflect on a few of the things that I learned um, while listening to you today, and I know our, our listeners uh, have as well. Um, I love that one. I, did you say it was your father-in-law that said the hard way is the only enduring way? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. I mean, um, and I think that's a, another lesson for young people too, that, uh, um, yeah, we all have luck and, um, timing along the way, but there's just nothing that replaces just good hard work and, and things don't come easy. But if you put your head down, you work hard, good things are going to happen. Um, the idea that you, you always wanted to be an entrepreneur and there's a lot of people who really never even thought about that. This was something that, uh, young, uh, at a young age you felt, but it took a while and, and you waited for the right opportunity, the right time you built a good career, uh, 
I loved what you said about your parents, that the, that there are people that you would choose to have as role models and friends. I mean, what uh, a gracious thing to say. And uh, I feel the same way about my my parents and my family. And uh, and uh, when when those are the people you want to hang out with, gosh, it's that's the best. Um, keep fighting if you lose. Uh, the fact that you you had the courage to step up after you weren't elected to manage the record store and you stood up and said, OK, but I'm going to talk anyway. And then they changed their vote and, and you got in and um, you got to fight for what you want. And I think that that showed a lot of courage. Um, the basics of the golden rule, treating people well, they'll, that they'll work harder, having a positive impact and being positive. Um, I love what the consultant said to you in 2014 as you were going through the clarity process that the, the fish rots from the head. And the fact is, is that it doesn't sound great, doesn't even feel good. Um, it's, uh, it's sometimes hard to hear. But the fact is, we're all a work in progress. And, uh, and in any organization. I think we're a reflection of the leader of our organization and people will follow that and sort of take on the same characteristics. So you have an uh, awesome responsibility to, uh, to handle yourself in a, in a certain way. And you certainly learn that over time. Uh, I like how when you, as a result of that, developed this set of guiding principles, but you didn't come up with the list yourself. You did that as an inclusive process with people in the business. So it became something that they bought into and they created, not something that you, uh, you directed. Um, just this idea of believing in yourself. And so really, regardless of the personality that you have, and you were shy, you were introverted, but uh, you developed over time a toughness, a confidence that allowed you to continue to grow, to be vulnerable, to uh, continue to go on this journey that will will go on for many years in this successful company that you built. Uh, and lastly, the, the idea of family first, that um, I, I think that uh, I don't really believe in this idea of what they call work-life balance anymore. I, I think it's just life. And if you could do something you love, if you can, if you have a family and friends along the way, we're all connected 100% of the time, um, then we have to find a way to balance it all. But uh, bottom line is, is certainly as I get older, you realize that uh, what you have mostly is a, is your family and people that you love and, and you want to make sure you're spending the appropriate amount of time with them and uh, enjoying life along the way. So um, I really want to thank you for sharing your story, being vulnerable, showing us that uh, we're all uh, we're all, like I said, a work in progress along the way. Well, Paul, thank you. It's really been a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you very much, David, and uh, continue your, your great work again. Congratulations on uh, being awarded a Forbes small giant. And thank you all for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time. Mm-hmm.